We're continuing our study in 1 Samuel, if you'll open up to chapter 2. I thought about what we should study on a long-term basis, and I thought, you know what, we're already there. Because, you know, we talk a lot about revival, and what revival is, and wish we had revival and all. And 1 Samuel, funny enough, is about this very thing. It begins at a point when Israel is at its worst right now. And God is reviving his work among them. And we've seen how God has so worked through a barren woman. Couldn't have children. And she was suffering. Being picked on, being jumped on. Well, she prays and asks God and says, you know what, if you make me a mother, I will give this son back to you and he will serve you all the days of his life. He'll be devoted to you, dedicated to you, to do all your will. And see, today we're going to see why that is so necessary. Because the heart of a nation is in what it worships. And if the worship of a people is corrupt, then the people are going to be in darkness and their lives are going to be a mess. So the awful thing is that the priests have gone so far, they're so corrupt that they are not going to be revived and God is going to do away with them. They're not listening to God and therefore they disobey, they are ripe for judgment. So I'm reading in 1 Samuel chapter 2 from verse 11. It says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And all we want to notice here is that Here's Samuel. This is the son that his mother Hannah asked for, prayed for, and here he is. And she's just devoted him to the Lord now for the rest of his life. And she's learned that not by might shall a man prevail, but by his spirit through his grace. And she has taught Samuel for three years that God is good. This is why you exist, my son. And you're to know him, and you're to know his will, and you're to do all his will. And what she's been doing is filling his life with that goodness of God, knowing that goodness. And now he begins his life's career at age three, serving the Lord at the house of God there in Shiloh. 
And Hannah's accomplishment is all the more amazing when you think Samuel is beginning his career in a cesspool. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, Well, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but if you must, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the, the offering of the Lord. Now, the word for this corrupt there in verse 12 is literally a word that means worthless. And think of the very worst word you could use for them. Scum. Chavs. Pikeys, jerks. No one would think these guys are okay. And everyone in Shiloh knows it, and everyone in Israel knows it, and God knows it. No ambiguity here. And it says they didn't know the Lord. Now, they know about the Lord intellectually. They know how to do the sacrifices. They can do it all. But what it means is they have nothing to do with God. They're not submitting to him. They're not listening to his word. They're not obeying it. They had no relationship with God the way that we've seen Hannah did, where she's gone through a difficult time, and she suffered, and she says, God, help me. Nah, these guys, they were born into privilege. They started life at the top. They are sons of the high priest. They have a distinguished family heritage, and And then the phone rang, and a shot rang out, and a door slammed. So these guys were born into it. They get everything, and they don't understand their privilege. They've never had to think it out and realize what a favored, privileged position they've got. And, you know, it says exactly in the law of God what they're supposed to do. This is how everybody knows 
They're so inadequate. They're so lame. In Leviticus chapter 7, God assigned the priests a certain portion of every sacrifice that was made. This is their support. And it's the very best stuff. Now, this is what it says in Leviticus 7. The priest shall offer up the fat in smoke on the altar, but the breast shall belong to Aaron and his sons. You shall give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat, the right thigh shall be his as his portion. For I've taken from the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the contribution from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as their due forever from the sons of Israel. So this is the very best part. And it's a ton of meat. You can do very well with this. But these guys are so greedy, they just help themselves. They send their servant in there and just go in there with a fork, pull up whatever they want. Hey, good fishing. And walk off with the meat. And everybody's looking at them going, how rude. And they're getting persnickety. They don't want boiled meat. They only like roasted meat. So they're going to just take the meat before it even gets boiled or anything. This is the way we want it. Well, you guys ought to burn the fat first. That's the part that belongs to God. No, we're just taking the meat, walking off. And then people come back from Shiloh to where they were at, and they go, how was it? And they go, waste of time. Don't go up to Shiloh, man. Those guys, they'll pick your bones. They don't care about God. They'll just rip you off. I'm not going up there. So everybody knows these guys are not doing what God wants because it's written down, and they know for themselves, hey, this isn't right. Now, notice in verse 18, the scene changes, and we're on Samuel. Verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, here's Samuel, and we know that he's serving the Lord in this gross environment. 
And here's his mom and his dad coming up every year to sacrifice. Whenever they see him, it's like, hey, we're so glad to see you. And look what I got. I'm so happy. Let's see if it fits. It fits. Hey, mom, thanks. This is so cool. I need another hug. Oh, and Eli comes along and says, well, you guys, God bless you, and the whole thing. And everybody's happy. It's a really fabulous scene, you know. And this Hannah caring for her son means she loves him, right? And, you know, it says in the law that you're supposed to talk with your kids about the Lord. You're supposed to talk about it when you're going somewhere, sitting down, it's supposed to be a part of life. That's part of it. You're supposed to live with this thing like, okay, mom, dad, Spiffy the dog, all the kids, and God. God's in our family. That's why we exist. So God is supposed to be part of the family. And it says in Proverbs 22, okay, this isn't written yet as far as Hannah is concerned, but she did it already. Now listen, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that doesn't mean that you take everything in the Bible and then shove it in your kid's mouth and make him chew it and swallow it. And that's the way some people think that Christians raise their kids. That it's something like brainwashing. No, 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 they say. You should let a child develop and make his own decisions. Well, that's kind of true. I mean, you're not supposed to abuse your children. Does everybody get that? Gee, we get that. But... It means to train up a child in a way that is appropriate to that child. You're supposed to know your children. And you're supposed to love your children and figure out, how do I love this kid so that he knows I love him? Not, gee, dad's got this weird tick about God and I'm supposed to do this thing about God. And okay, fine, I'll go through the motions. But as soon as I'm old enough, man, I'm out the door. What a child is supposed to pick up is, hey, God is real to dad. God is real to mom. And I can tell because he loves me. And see, love is what God is about. I know that God is real. Because my mom loves me. My dad loves me. And see, you're, you're supposed to find that way to your child's heart and just communicate that love of God. Now, I've never seen anybody go, love, what a lousy thing that is. Love is the most beautiful the most wonderful. And see, that's, that's who God really is. And so what person in the world would have a problem with perfect divine love? Who would have a problem with that? Like, yuck, 
Give me some filth. Well, there are some crazy people out there. But if your head's screwed on straight, you're going to get it. Who would have a problem with, my mom loves me so much, Samuel, mwah! My man, I'm so glad to see you. I got an ephod for you. Oh, mom, an ephod. That's so cool. And it fits. So, you know, Samuel doesn't even know the Lord yet. And we know this because next chapter it says he didn't know the Lord yet. But he knew something. He says, you know what? I know that God is right because these guys are screwed up. And I know my mom loves me, and these guys are worthless. So even though he comes into the grimiest, grossest situation, he's not going to look at these guys and say, well, guy, they're having fun. That looks like fun. Maybe I'll try snatching meat from people. Cool. How much did you get? Oh, I got a ton. You know. He says, absolutely not. These guys are wrong. So, he can see God in his mom. He says, that's the way I want to live. And you know, we got this picture of how God is really blessing Samuel's family. God is doing a fabulous work there in the family. But Eli's family is growing more corrupt. And he tries to tell his sons to stop sinning, and they are not listening. So look at verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. Now these guys have taken to sleeping with the women who serve the Lord at the tent of meeting. And these women are only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. We're not quite sure what the whole thing was about. But when you're talking about ministering, you're talking about service. And service equals worship. Worship equals service. You worship, you serve. That's why we have a worship service this morning. It's the same thing. We are serving the Lord. We are worshiping the Lord. They prayed. They worshiped the Lord. It was part of their ongoing ministry there. And here these guys are so vile that they're actually taking this, these women away from the worship of God and they're just sleeping with them. It's just gross. 
This is breaking the law of God. The priests are absolutely living completely against God. And Eli tries to reason with his sons. I mean, he's got good reasons. Good reasoning. But guess what? They stopped thinking. It's because they stopped listening. But these guys, they just kind of blow their father off. And their attitude is, hey, we can do anything we want. Nobody's going to stop us, and nothing is going to happen. Now, Samuel is growing in favor. They're in 26, verse 26, in favor with both the Lord and men. There's the real deal. Here's a guy that is doing the will of God. Wow. In Shiloh, imagine that. There's one good guy there. And see, these guys are confident, Eli and Phineas, or Phineas and Hophni, not Phineas and Ferb. Hophni and Phineas. And they're, they're confident. Nothing's going to happen. We don't have to obey God, and we don't even have to listen to Dad. Listen to Dad go, blah, 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 blah. And they're making fun of their dad, kind of going, well, you know, you guys, you, you need to stop this, you know, because it isn't good. And stuff is like, dad, give me a break. There he is, just going, they have never listened to their dad. They've never listened to him. And God doesn't even worry about that because it says he wants to kill him. So he's not even doing anything about this. How would you like for God to want to kill you and you don't even know that he's going to do it? But even more alarming, God tells Eli that he is responsible for his sons. And God is going to judge Eli's family forever. Look at verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat, with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm 
and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before him my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Now, this unnamed man of God comes to Eli and says, This is what God says to you. God says, I specifically gave you blessings and privileges that have come down to you. The best of everything in Israel. And he says, you kick at my sacrifices like they're nothing. That is, to them, God is nothing. Big deal. We got the meat. It's ours. And he says, you honor your sons above me. They are more important to you than me. You see, that is breaking the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you know what that commandment is preceded by? A command. Hear, O Israel. Hear, listen. This is the foundation of your life. This is where your meaning comes from. Now, you know, Eli probably pampered these kids from their youth. I'm just reading between the lines here, but how do these kids get to this point where they don't listen to him? The answer is he never gave them anything to listen to. He didn't discipline them. Now, nowadays, that's considered to be some kind of aggression against your children. And it seemed like an angry parent wants to beat up his kid for revenge. But that's not what discipline is about. Discipline is punishment with a view to correction. And when a parent administers discipline, it's because right now this little squirt cannot conceive of God above all in the heavens. Just not there. 
For right now, you, the parent, are God. And you have to teach a little person that for them to be disobedient and not listening is never going to fly in this universe. Now, you've only got a window of this much before you're done, and it won't work anymore. So you have to take the window of opportunity, and you have to do what God says and discipline for the purpose of affecting character. That's what it's for. And so you have to say, look, sweetheart, I told you, do not do this, and you did not listen to me. And now I'm going to have to spank you three times. Pow, pow, pow. Now, sweetheart, I love you. I love you with all my heart. You know I love you. Now, I want you to listen to me in the future. Do you hear my voice? You bet I love you. Let's go get dinner now. See? You're supposed to teach a person they cannot ignore you. There are consequences when you disobey because at a certain point, they're aware that they stand before God. And guess what? You cannot ignore God. And there are consequences if you disobey. Now, a parent can get the idea, oh, man, if I discipline my kids, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me. And I, I don't want them to hate me. So I'm just going to say, well, don't do that, please. And you know what they get the message? I can ignore Dad. I can do anything I want. Nothing's going to happen. Please don't do that. Well, la-dee-da, Dad. The real trick in life is don't get caught. I got this. See, Eli would just sort of say, oh, I hope they don't hate me. And the kid already despises them. It's too late. So, he taught them they can do anything they want and nothing's going to happen. Now, you got to ask, where is that love of God in Eli's life? How come they didn't pick it up somehow? But, you know, they got the idea that dad is just going through the motions. Dad does everything right, but, you know, it's just a job. And what they actually learned is that you can love something other than God first, and it's okay. You don't have to love God first. Dad doesn't love God first. So why should I stick my head into that religious junk? I don't want to do that. It's okay. You can love something else other than God, and nothing's going to happen. But what we're finding here is that is not true. That God himself is going to judge Eli and his family forever. Notice in verse 30. God said, 
Your house and the house of your father will walk before me forever. Now, you know, when God says something, he means it. It is forever. But he says here, no way is that going to happen. You're going to walk before me forever, but I do not have to bless you. I didn't see I was going to bless you forever. So yeah, you're going to walk before me forever, but I don't have to bless anybody who despises me. And he says it three times here. There will be no old people in your house forever. And you're an old guy, says that in verse 22. Eli was very old. And when he died, he was 98 years old. But God is saying, you're the last one, pal. In your family, there will be no old men forever. Which means you're all going to die in the prime of life. And he says, beginning with Hophni and Phinehas. These guys are probably in their 20s, 30s. Prime of life. He says, they're both going to die on the same day. That's so you know it's me talking. And you know, it's interesting. Another commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. If you don't honor your father and your mother, like Hophni and Phinehas are most certainly not honoring their father, they're going to have a short life. And see, that is going to follow the whole family of Eli forever. He says in verse 32, you're going to see an enemy in my dwelling place. Now we know later on that God is going to absolutely level the town of Shiloh, destroy it completely. He's going to start over again with the worship of God in Israel. He says, I'm not going to cut off every man of your family from serving me, but those who survive are going to grieve you. You're never going to have any joy from your family ever again. He says, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest who will do all my will. In other words, I'm choosing somebody else to serve me. And anybody who's left of your descendants is going to come to this guy and say, could you please give me some kind of job somewhere so I can just eat? When you think about the power of God to make things go badly, it's kind of horrific, isn't it? This is just scratching the surface. God could make things go even worse. He will make things go worse. Nobody knows the fury of God in full except Jesus. The rest of us just read about it and hope we never go there. So a man of God comes and says, your descendants are going to have a rough life before God forever. What would you do if you heard that? You would freak clean out. You would roll in the dust. You would say, 
God, forgive me, be merciful to me, please. What does Eli do? Nothing. Isn't that weird? Of all the guys in the Bible, I have a real hard time with Eli. Here's a guy who knows everything. We're going to see when God starts talking to Samuel, he even knows what you say back to God when he's talking to you, but he's not listening to God. Does that make any sense at all? This to me is incomprehensible. That somebody can hear a direct word from God and ignore God. Well, look at the, what Eli and his sons have in common. I mean, Eli's a nice guy, and his sons are just despicable and worthless. But they both have something in common. Both of them are not listening to God. And therefore, both of them are disobeying God. So, you know, Eli's sons don't know the Lord. Doesn't it seem reasonable that Eli does not know God either? So let's think about this. One thing you can thank God for is that you have gone through suffering in your life. Nobody brought that one up. For what did God do right this year? Oh, I suffered this year. Thank the Lord. But you know, think about this for a second. If you don't suffer, you don't come to the end of yourself. And then you don't pray to God. And you don't see God work in your life. You only grow when you suffer and you're humbled. But if you don't have to suffer... You don't come to the end of yourself. You don't need God. Why do you need God? I got everything else. I got everything I need. But you suffered this year. And you suffered so much that you actually prayed, God, help me. And God helped you. See, you can thank God for that. Because it could be worse. You could be Bill Gates. There's a guy with so much money, he can't even spend it. Before he gets done buying a yacht, he's already made the money in interest. He can't go broke. But he doesn't need God either. Nah. Do you know that the most important thing you can ever gain in this life is to know God. Because that's your whole eternity right there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you know, if you never get to that point where you realize you are poor spiritually, you will never get saved. You have to come to that point where you realize, I can do nothing, I'm helpless before God, and I need to be saved. Well, you know, that's God doing you a favor. You need to know the Lord, okay? You need to 
to know the Lord. You cannot go through life oblivious to God, not listening, and not obeying. That is never going to fly. And you know, it's not about being nice, because Eli was a nice guy, wasn't he? Oh, bless, bless this family, and everything is nice and fine, but guess what? Nice does not equal knowing God and being saved. So you can be nice and still be cursed by God in condemnation and go to hell. There's going to be nice people in hell. If you don't know the Lord, then you have, you have no clue that you are offending God by ignoring him and disobeying him. You have no clue that you're headed for eternal judgment. And even if you don't believe it, Eli's sons don't believe it either. But they're still going to get judged. They're still going to both of them die on the same day. And that's why Jesus said, Woe to you when you receive your good things now. Woe to you who are full now, because you're going to be empty. You're going to lose all your good things, and then you're going to bear your judgment and your shame forever. Now you know, you know the Lord when you receive Jesus. That's why I read that scripture about in, in 1 John 4, because it's talking about knowing that you know the Lord. Not just self-hypnotism, as I hypnotize myself and cannot pronounce anymore. Day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Uh-uh. You've got to know that you know God, and here's how you know Him. Because you know His love. Because you've actually experienced God being merciful to you in the name of Jesus and removing your sins and filling your heart with the love of God. And if you do not know that love of God, there's a question whether you really know God. You have to repent of being your own boss and of ignoring God from here on in, that cannot be the way that you live. That's why Christians read their Bibles. Not because we're doing some kind of busy box. Play time. Ding, ding. <laughs> That's what Christians do. We're listening to God. And we're listening to Him and saying, Search my heart. And teach me your ways. And let me hear you. So, you know you know God when you love him. And you listen to him and you obey him. The nicest person in the world who ignores God is worthy of eternal condemnation. Does everybody get me on that?
Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And you have to think, what answer am I going to give Jesus right now today? Because today is the day of salvation. If you hear this and you ignore God, when are you going to open up your heart and say, I'll start obeying God now? When is that day ever going to come? Do you know God? Let's pray. We understand, Heavenly Father, that there will be many who say to Jesus in the day of judgment, didn't I do this and this and this for you? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And we understand how important it is that we know God. And to be known by you. So, as we're praying, Lord, this is a time for people to respond to you. If there's anyone who needs to receive Jesus, then you can pray. Lord Jesus, here I am. I don't want to ignore you anymore. I don't want to disobey you. I have ignored you and disobeyed you. Please forgive me for my sins and please come into my life. Teach me your ways that I may know you. Wash my sins away. And please pour out your love in my heart. Help me to know your love. And we thank you, Lord, that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing in loving kindness and truth. Thank you for loving us and sending Jesus to die for us, to save us. We pray, Lord, that we would not ignore you, but we would listen to your voice because you're speaking all the time. You're speaking to us even right now. And I know that most of what you're saying is, 
I do love you. So we want to commit ourselves into your hand. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.